So I just thought it would be kind of cool to see exactly where we're at um, before we start today. Wasn't that a cool video? Um, and a cool voice, much better than what I could read. So I think it was, though, from the old King James or something, but it was kind of cool. Um, anyway, so this is where we're at um, today. We opened up a couple of weeks ago. Christy um, brought us inside the courtyard, showing us the altar of sacrifice and the bronze laver. And then last week, Lisa took us into the holy place behind that first curtain, being lit by the golden what? Lampstand, which shone its light into, onto what other pieces of furniture did she talk about? Table of presents or the table of showbread. <clears throat> and then also the light was illuminated on the golden altar of incense, which is where we will find ourselves today, standing before the veil right before we go into the Holy of Holies. Can you do the, yeah. So that's where we're at, right there with the priest, standing at the altar of incense. <clears throat> so we've moved right now as close as a priest could get for 364 days out of the year, all except for that one day of atonement, to that Holy of Holies, standing right at the veil at the golden altar. Now, do you recall Christy talking about the brazen altar? What did it represent? Sacrifice. Got it. So it was also called the altar of sacrifice. And now we're seeing another altar. So we've had the altar of sacrifice. Now we're going to see the altar of incense. So every time you look at anything that has to do with the altar of incense, you must see the correlation between the altar of sacrifice and the altar of incense. So you can open your books to page 134, I think it is, and we'll see the meaning of the word translated here, the word altar. It's the Greek or Hebrew word, mizbeach, um, but said with a lot more energy than that. It means an altar or a place of sacrifice. So when we say altar of sacrifice, really from the standpoint of this original word, we're repeating what has already been stated in the word altar. So altar meaning sacrifice. So why would the altar of incense also be called the same, the same name as the, the um, sacrifice, altar of sacrifice? Why do you think it would be called the same? I think we talked about this in our homework, but the fire that could, um, the only fire that could be burned on the altar of incense had to come from the altar of sacrifice. So they would bring the utensils to the altar of sacrifice. They would grab the coals from there, take it into the altar of incense. No other fire could light the altar of incense. And all our approach to God is based on sacrifice. 
In Psalms 141, um, we're going to see what the altar of incense represents. David says, O Lord, I am calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you, and my upraised hands as an evening sacrifice. O Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry. How many here today are praying this kind of prayer? If we're not praying it today, we actually had a hand, brave soul back there. If we're not praying, <laughs> if we're not praying it today, we have prayed it in the past, and we certainly will pray it in the future. Many of us are in situations where we feel desperate, desperate for peace, desperate for healing, desperate for hope. Desperate to have the fear and anxiety gone. We're desperate for prayer. Can you hear the desperation in David's voice when he says, come quickly to me? And then listen to the representation here. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. The incense and the sacrifice were meant to correlate. They were meant to happen at the same time. We read about the morning sacrifice with the morning incense, and the evening sacrifice took place before the evening incense. We're going to see this as we go through several passages today, and um, we'll see that the altar of incense is prayer is represented in this altar. So that's a fill in the blank. The altar of incense symbolizes prayer. <clears throat> in Revelations, we're going to look at several verses here quickly. Um, in chapter 5, we read, In between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated at the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now this is symbolic a harp in one hand, and golden bowls full of incense in the other, which we're already told are what? Prayers of the saints. Harps representing worship, the bowls of incense, prayer. Our intimacy with God is never portrayed more than when we are in the posture of worship and prayer. I meant to start out with this. God, in his kindness, truly gave me the opportunity to study this in depth because he knew I needed this subject of prayer. Um, so truly, I, I am in awe of what he showed me. It came at a time in my life when uh, I was filled with doubt. And we'll go on uh, talking a little bit more about prayer, but I just wanted to say that, like, wow, this is so good for me. So... 
Moving on to Revelations 8, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. What an incredible picture here. So remember, according to the book of Hebrews, every single thing that God directed Moses and the people of Israel to build in regard to the tabernacle had a reality in heaven. There was a heavenly reality, and they were to build an earthly replica or a symbol of it through which they would learn how to worship, how to dwell with God. So we see clearly in Revelations, there is a golden altar of incense, and it represents the prayers of the saints. I wonder, too, if it's because God knows that we have no bigger issues at times than unanswered prayer. He doesn't leave it unaddressed. Here he has in the last book of Revelations, the book that ties up all things, prophesies even some things coming, refers not once but twice to outstanding prayers of the saints. Things that have been asked, but maybe by our estimation have not been answered. Every single one of us, most likely at different times, have struggled with that question. Some things even right now could be causing us to ask, like, is it even worth praying? Why should we pray at all? What difference does it make? Isn't God just going to do what he's going to do? And how long have I prayed for this? Some of us are getting very close to giving up on prayer. So I'm glad you're here today if you're one of those. And I hope that this will encourage you. God never wastes words. And in Philippians 4, he says... We're to be anxious, well, Paul says this, but we're to be anxious for nothing, but we're to pray about everything. And if we're to pray about everything, then everything can be affected by prayer. You'll never have a single thing arise in your life that won't be affected by prayer. Whether or not we can see it with our own eyes in our lifetime or experience it, we know that prayer will affect it. Now I'm going to move on to the New Testament. I want to turn to a narrative in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to watch this take action. This is the time of Christ. His uh, birth is very near, and this takes place in the holy place of Herod's temple. Luke 1, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife, oh, said that so nicely, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. 
because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. <clears throat> and a note here, Elizabeth and Zechariah, both are from the priestess, priestly lineage, the priestly family of Aaron. So you would think that they would have double blessing, right? But what we're seeing here in this particular case is those that most would think would be doubly blessed seem to be the least blessed. Does that resonate with anybody today? <laughs> now, verse 3 or 8, I can't read it. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Here we're again at the altar of incense. Um, chapter or verse 10 and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside in the hour of sin incense <clears throat> now let's pause here just for a minute in this particular point in time there were literally thousands of priests and there is this one place of worship of service and it was this huge magnificent temple that Herod had built so they had divided the priesthood into 24 different segments that would serve about two weeks out of the calendar year. But to offer the incense on the golden altar was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Your time to get to do that would roll around maybe once. So in all likelihood, he had never done this before. So this was a huge thing for Zechariah to be doing this, to get this far into the temple. Uh, and the temple was a little bit of a different layout than the tabernacle as far as it was a temple and, and not a tent. Um, but same uh, process would go on in the temple as in the tabernacle, at least that's my understanding. So, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So you had the people outside in the courtyard praying, and you had Zechariah inside praying the prayers at the altar of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now here's what Zechariah would have done. Can we get that picture up there, Jalise? <clears throat> he would have gone to the altar of sacrifice, scooped out the, the coals in his little sensor thing, come through the curtain, and come back here to the altar of incense and put the coals on there with the incense and was offering prayers to God. Now the next picture. So then this is where he would be, standing there praying, and he looks up to the right. It's not in the picture. So, And whoa, there's Gabriel standing there. An angel of the Lord is standing on the right side of uh, the altar of incense. Now, I imagine Zechariah had prepared for a lot of things, being this was a big deal, but I'm not sure if he would have been prepared for an angel standing there. 
Okay, so let's see what happens next. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Well, we already know what that was, but I wonder if his initial thought was like, what prayer? You know, I'm sure he had prayed a lot of prayers, and I imagine because this was such a big deal, possibly that wasn't even a prayer he had just prayed. I imagine he prayed for the coming Messiah. I imagine he had prayed for the people, and maybe he had prayed for this there. But no matter what, you know it had been a prayer that he had prayed over the years. And that is the prayer that the angel came to tell him was answered. Moving on. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And then... Zechariah says, well, how is this going to happen? You know, we're old. My wife's old also. Um, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he that sent me to tell you the good news. Can you even imagine? Wow. But because of the lack of unbelief, which we could all put ourselves there, right, on Zechariah's part, he's made mute and he's unable to speak. So when he should have been hooping and hollering over this miracle that was going to take place, he was kept silent. So in our book, we're going to note the blamelessness of Zechariah. The first point is the blamelessness of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, this does not mean, when we say blamelessness, that they were without sin um, or that they were perfect people. But what it means is that they didn't willfully disobey God. But I think the point that's really being made here is they were good people, you know? And if anyone should have been blessed, it should have been them. But we also know that obedience... And blamelessness is not the only basis upon which God hears our prayers. He also hears the prayers of the desperate. Psalms 145, we read, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So they had prayed. Their prayer had not been answered up to this point. They lacked what most likely they wanted the most, a child. Our lack might be something different. All of us know, though, what it feels like to have lack in our lives. For them, it was lack of a child. For some of you, it might be the same. might be dealing with infertility month after month of disappointment, waiting and waiting, turning into hopelessness. When things that seem to come so easy to others do not come easy to us. Maybe it's a lack of a job or career, bringing about feelings of doubt and fear. Maybe you're single and you're longing for a godly man to share life with. Seems to come so easily for others. Why not me? 
Maybe it's a lack of healing, a failed marriage, or an unhappy marriage. Maybe a lack of friendships. When things seem to come so easily to others, but not to us. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Now, this next fill-in-the-blank is something you can think about. It's probably not something you'll fill in right now, although you're welcome to if, if you can, but it might be something that you want to think about and pray about. How might you com- complete this sentence? I have no what? Or, or if you're thinking of somebody else, what do they have? So it's just something to think about. Um, and if there's anything that... Today's lesson is going to show us is that timing is everything. There is a reason for everything. And there is a miracle waiting to happen. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you good news. Point number two, the specification of the angel Gabriel. Now, I want to read you something out of Daniel, where the same angel shows up. This is just so cool, you guys. The same angel shows up centuries earlier, but I want to give you a little bit of context before we start reading. Daniel begins this chapter. It's going to be chapter 9, and he's been reading in the word of the Lord, and he's been reading in Jeremiah. He's actually reading the famous passage most of us are really familiar with, Jeremiah 29, 11, although we don't usually quote 10. That's where I'm going to start. So, so Daniel, picture Daniel reading Jeremiah, and this is what he's reading. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So the, the Jewish people had been in captivity for close to 70, 70 years. And while Daniel's reading this, he realizes the 70 years are almost over. That's how long he's been there. And Daniel turns to God in prayer, seeking mercy for Jerusalem. It's a beautiful prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I highly recommend it. Go read Daniel the first, uh, Daniel 9, the first several verses before we get to verse 20, which I'm going to read now. So um, he says, I, this is Daniel speaking, went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. 
the moment you began praying, an answer was given. Gabriel was sent to tell Daniel the answer. The people would be free to go back to, to return to Judah. But Daniel most likely would have not made that trip back. It would have been too long for somebody his age. So Daniel most likely didn't experience that prayer himself. Gabriel was also sent to tell Daniel how precious he was to God. Is that incredible? God cares about the details. He cares that you know his love is lavished on you. And then also take note, Daniel was offering prayer at what time? Evening sacrifice. Now you got to understand the temple had been destroyed years before. So there would have been no place to offer a sacrifice. Um, they had been in captivity, um, probably surrounded by all kinds of other uh, religious things going on. But Daniel never gave up his times of prayer, offering adoration and worship, praise and petitions to God morning and night. And we read that throughout, really, the book of Daniel. We don't have any idea how many of our prayers have been answered quickly. It's not that our prayers have not been answered. It's that the timing or the experience of these answers may not be yet. We don't know that we have an answered prayer. Remember the golden bowls in heaven? Our prayers might have been answered the second we prayed them. We don't know, but we do know that Jesus hears our prayers, the golden bowls of incense holding our prayers. You are precious to God. His timing will be perfect. Now look with me at point number three. <clears throat> We're back in Luke chapter one. Notice the initial words of Gabriel. He says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. That's another fill in the blank. Do not be afraid, your prayer has been heard. Listen to what God is saying to you. Do not be afraid. Isn't it one of our worst fears that our prayers are not being heard? In John, we read, um, this is right before Christ is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. John eleven forty one says, they, So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, not that they may, uh, that they may believe that you sent me. How different would we pray if we truly believed that God hears us when we pray? Jesus knew. Now just take a moment to picture this, the representation of the altar of incense. And picture that every single time we come before God, every single time that we make a petition before God, it's a sweet smelling savor to him. 
The tabernacle incense would have been very uh, extremely sweet and strong smelling. The fragrance fragrance would have um, saturated the priest's skin, his clothing, his hair, so that when he left, everyone would know he had been in the presence of God. What about us? Are we permeated with the fragrance of time spent in prayer? Is it obvious to those around us? There's nothing Satan wants more than for you and I to quit praying. Oh, how well I know this. Oh, he'd have you even study. Study right on. Because if you disengage with your relationship with God, you can study all you want. But there's going to be no power in that word. Lastly, let's look at verse 25. Elizabeth, the one who most likely had been slandered, looked down upon, endured speculation by many that she had hidden sin in her life, preventing her from having children, that same Elizabeth has become pregnant. And she says this, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Point four. God never receives more glory than when we say, The Lord has done this for me. So, what does it mean when things that seem to come so naturally to others have to come supernaturally to us? Because that's what we think, right? We feel like we're the one picked on. We're the one without favor, unloved, unseen, unheard. We feel like our sins or our shortcomings are being held against us when everyone else seems to get off the hook. We've led a blameless life, not willfully disobeying God. But then we start comparing our life with someone else who seems to blatantly ignore God, but seemingly has it all together. Blessings abound. This comparison slowly begins to kill us, and our thinking becomes irrational. But when we stop all of that... And we focus our eyes on God and look through the lens of his love for us. Maybe, just maybe, we realize we were picked out. We were chosen, not picked on. We were chosen not to do the regular thing, not to do easy, but we've been chosen to do the supernatural thing. We've been chosen to see the glory of God. When we see this clearly, we'll no longer ask, why are you doing this to me? No, we'll say, Lord, I see you have done this for me. You've done this so I can see your glory. So we continue to pray, Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. When I cry to you for help, accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening sacrifice. 
because you, O oh God, bend down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. I'm going to end there, and I'm going to have you all go ahead and stand. We're going to move into a time of worship. I am going to pray, but I'd like you all to just stand um, so the clunking of the chairs and all of that is over before we start into prayer and worship time. So, Lord, we confess that um, sometimes we think, why have you done this to me? Why have you done this to us? Why are things so hard? But, Lord, I ask you to open our eyes to the fact that you have done these things for us, for us to experience your supernatural way, a way we would never know if things would have come easy. So we thank you. We don't give up hope. We don't give up prayer. We will pray as long as we have breath because we know without a shadow of a doubt that you, our God, hear us when we pray. In Jesus' name. to blow How you gonna keep this flame alive In the fading light when night is breaking I know you will always be waiting You'll always be there Running to that secret place where you are where you Sing you all the ways you stole my heart, stole my heart. Better is a moment that I spend with you than a million other days away. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running to that secret Still my heart, still my heart. Better is a 
that I spend with you than a million other days away. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running to that secret place. Hands are lifted high, hearts await to life. We are satisfied here with you, here with you. Chains will hit the floor, broken lives restored. We couldn't ask for more. Here with you, here with you. Hands are lifted high, hearts await to life. We are satisfied. Here with you, here with you. The floor, broken lives restored. Couldn't ask for more. Here with you, here with you. within me praise his name praise the Lord oh my soul and let all that's within me praise his name we praise your name sing it again Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And let all that's within me praise His name. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And let all that's within me praise His name. I will not die, I will live I'll tell of the works of the Lord Sing of His wonders I will not die, I will live I will not die, I will live Cause He's a great God He's a great God, oh tell him this morning, you're a great God, you're a great God, and I get to love you through What a privilege I get to love you through Whatever comes Oh, how sweet it is Sing it again I get to 
love you through whatever comes, what a privilege that I get to love you through whatever comes. Oh, how sweet it is. Cause nothing's gonna take your praise out of my mouth. As long as I shall live, as long as I shall live, oh, sing it again. Nothing's gonna take your praise out of my mouth. As long as I shall live, as long as I shall live, you're a great God. You're a great God. Oh, through everything, you're a great God. Through every circumstance, you're a great God. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, and let all that's within me praise His name. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, and let all that's within me praise His name. Praise your name, oh we do. Praise your name. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. from you are all things and to you are all things you deserve the glory sing it again you are worthy of it all you are worthy of it all for from you Serve the glory. God, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer, that we can come to you no matter what we're going through, that you are there beside us, that we can always go run after you, that you never leave us that you hear our prayers, that you love us. We thank you that we can come and bring you glory, bring you praise through our worship. So we just give you this time. We say thank you for who you are and thank you for meeting us here this morning. In your name, amen. 
Have a great rest of your week.